At this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our, our teenagers. You guys can go over to the gym with Pastor Cody. And uh, is anyone missing the notes for tonight? You can't, they should have had them at the doors. It's always, I find it personally, I don't know about Pastor, I find it challenging to preach with notes uh, when the audience has the notes. Because, you know, if you're up here and, and you're just preaching normally and, and you skip a line or you go to the next point or you're out of order, no one out there knows but when you have the outline in front of you, all of a sudden it's a lot more pressure. So um, Lord willing, we'll, we'll uh, look at this this evening. Uh, and I, I pray that it'll be an encouragement to you, um, as it was to me as, as I prepared for it. Uh, and so we are, we are talking about God's omniscience, the omniscient God. Uh, and as you look at your paper there, the very first one is just simply a definition. What does it mean to be omniscient? Uh, and it's obviously not... A gift that I have. It's not an attribute that, that any of us have, uh, but it is defined as the state of knowing everything. Now, if you're married here, uh, maybe it's your spouse that would like to hold that title or pretend that they have that title. Um, in our relationship, my wife is definitely smarter than I am. She knows more than I do, so she would have that. Um, but none of us come close to even comparing to God's level of knowledge of knowing everything, is an attribute that only is reserved for God. And so God's knowledge and understanding, as we look in Scripture, uh, we're going to see a, different, a few different things about it, but the first thing that we're going to see is how it's described. Well, how does God define his understanding? How does God define his knowledge? How does God, what words does God use? And the first one there, if you take your Bible, we'll go to Psalms chapter 147. And we're going to see three different descriptions that God used when he was referring to his own understanding or his own knowledge. Psalms 147, verse number five, and you'll see it there. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Now, what does infinite mean? Infinite has no ending. You know, my, my boys right now, they have, um, uh, Natasha gave them uh, a Buzz Lightyear. And those buttons, you hit those buttons and it has all those taglines from Toy Story. And uh, one of those ones that says all the time, to infinity and beyond. And my boys, they'll run around the house with that. And they, they might not know what that means, but most of us here would know what infinite means. You know, without limit. Um, Isaiah 40 verse 28 um, is our next verse. And it says, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And so I wrote down unsearchable. God's knowledge is infinite and it's unsearchable. How many of you guys have ever um, uh, uh, been putting together a, a cabinet or putting together some furniture and uh, there's one screw left over? Or there's one piece of wood left over. Or there's a handle and you just can't figure out where it goes. And so you have to take out those instructions and you have to search through them to try and find um, where that last piece goes. Try and find what the last step is. You know. And if we were to think about God's understanding, there is no way for us to be able to search it out. For us to find um, the end or to... to, to um, to, well, to search it is what the Bible says. There is no searching of his understanding. In Job 37, uh, we find the word perfect. Now, perfect can mean 100% without error, but it can also mean 100% complete. 
that it is perfect. Uh, my mom, we would do puzzles. And if you had that one last piece, and uh, often mom would find her puzzles at you know the, the thrift store at a yard sale. And normally puzzles at a yard sale are there because they're missing that piece. Um, you know, but it's perfect. It's complete. Uh, Job 37, 16. Dost thou know the balance... Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds and the wondrous works of him which is perfect, which is 100%, which is complete in knowledge. And so God has these descriptions when he's talking about his own understanding, his own knowledge. And, uh, you know, what, what would that, what would that help? How, how does that help us see this characteristic of, of omniscience in God? And so as I was thinking about that, there is, there is three kind of breakdowns, I guess, in, in my mind as we think about this tonight. Uh, and they're, they have to do with time. You know, they have to do with the passing of time. And so we're going to look at God's omniscience displayed yesterday, God's omniscience displayed today, and then God's omniscience that we see in the future. Uh, and each of these three categories... Um, I believe are, are very closely related, but have a little bit of a difference to them. Um, and then there's one, one linking factor at the very end that I hope will, will put the puzzle together, all right? So God's omniscience displayed yesterday. There's a phrase that if you, as you read through your Bible, um, you'll see it jump out once in a while, before the foundation of the world, all right? Before creation. And it's one of those questions that we have, um, you know, evolutionists can't tell us what existed before the Big Bang. What caused the Big Bang? All right. Um, and it's one of those, one of those questions that we don't have to worry about. What existed before creation? God. Um, and, but when we see in the Bible before the foundation of the world, God is telling us something that took place before creation. All right, before the earth was, was spoken into being, before the heavens were, were just, just said and they exist. And so we're going to see before the foundation of the world, and we're going to see the plan of salvation. And that, that just, that, you know, boggles the mind that before God even began, he had a, he had a plan for our salvation. And, and, uh, we'll see that in 1 Peter chapter 1. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, in, in the plan of salvation, the first thing that we see is the person. The person of salvation was established before creation. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tra- tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained when? Before the foundation of the world. You know, before, um, before Adam and Eve were created, God knew that they would sin. You know, and it, 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 why would God do that? And, and I don't pretend to, to know the answer to the big why question. Many, many smart guys out there have tried to answer the why. And honestly, I don't think they do a good job. You know, um, God talks about my ways are higher than yours. God talks about the great mystery. God talks about there's just, there's unsearchable things um, about his understanding and his knowledge. And I, to me, that's one of those questions of the why. But for, you know, if we remove that and we just accept it by faith that God did 
what he did without violating any character or being any of the things that he's accused of. God had a plan of salvation. God had the person of salvation established before the creation. The second one is the method. All right, God had the person and God had the method of our salvation established before creation. Acts 2 verse 22 says, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. All right, there was, we'll, we'll talk about it later on, but the, the way that Jesus went to the cross was prophesied, was foreordained. And I believe from this verse that God had that plan um, before the foundation of the world. Determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken up and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of them. And the last one is the effects of salvation. We see the, pers- the, the person of our salvation was Jesus Christ, the method that he would give his life for us, that he would die in my place, and the effects of salvation. Ephesians 1 verse 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And, and we'll be careful because uh, Calvinists will like to use this, that you were chosen to salvation but be very careful when we read these verses and see who is being chosen and what they're being chosen to, all right? Ephesians 1 verse 4, according as he hath chosen us, all right? Paul is talking about Christians. Paul is talking about his brothers, his sisters in Christ. Paul is talking about those who are redeemed, all right? He's not talking about him. He's not talking about a a specific one person. He's talking about Christians. As he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, and again, the reason we're, we're here is because of that time, before the foundation of the world, and what did he choose us to? What did he choose Christians? What was the effect of salvation going to have on you, that you should be holy, that you should be without blame. How many of you are glad that as a Christian you're without blame before him? And God knew, God determined, God decided before the foundation of the world that when you became a Christian, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you were going to be made holy, that you were going to be made without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us, again, Christians, what are we predestinated unto? The adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, uh, according to the good good pleasure of his will. And so we see the person of salvation, we see the method of salvation, we see the effects of our salvation, and they all circle back to that phrase, before the foundation of the world. And that, that shows us God's omniscience, that shows us God's how a little glimmer, a little snapshot of, of, uh, of his intellect, of his knowledge, of his understanding, that God would have a plan for our salvation, that God would know that we need salvation, that God would know that Adam and Eve would choose to sin, that God would know that I would choose to sin, and that God would give me an opportunity to be saved. So we see God's omniscience displayed yesterday or in the past. We see God's omniscience displayed today. 
And, and uh, our first one is God knows the hidden things of our hearts. God knows the hidden things of our hearts. And I apologize. My notes are a little bit out of order. Um, and so if I give you a verse that's part of another point, um, you'll, you'll see it there. But uh, the hidden things of our hearts. Acts 1 verse 24 says, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these thou hast whether of these two thou hast chosen. Talking about the, the um, I believe, the disciples. Um, how many of you are pretty confident that you can read your husband or your wife? That you can tell when they're having a good day? When you can tell when they're having a bad day? All right? We, we, can, we can judge that. But I think if we're being honest, we would have to admit that there are still things inside their heart that we just, we don't know. You know, as, as much as we can read them, as much as, as we think we know what's going on, that maybe just prompts the question, hey, Manda, I, I can see you're, you're stressed. I can see you're upset. What's bothering you? You know, I, don't, I know she's bothered, but I don't know what caused it. Um, when, when I was in high school, uh, uh, not something I'm, I'm proud of, but I, I lied. I was a liar. And it was a, a thing that I had to work on in my life, a sin that I had to, to work on. Um, but I lied. I lied to my teachers. I lied to my parents. Sorry. Um, and, you know, but it was, it was easy. You know, it is easy to say one thing and in your heart have something else. It was easy to do one thing and in your heart have something else. But none of that works with God. You know, we could have the best performance on the outside and God can see straight through it, and he knows my heart. He knows my thoughts. He knows my, uh, um, my likes, my dislikes, and, and everything else that is superficial that everyone else can observe. Um, God sees right through that. Uh, God, also see, or God also knows our head, our heads. And I put this in to laugh, okay? Uh, our next verse, Matthew 10, verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You know, and why would I put that in there? What, what does that verse come from? What's the passage talking about? Anybody remember? The sparrows. You know, when God talks about, when he compares, you know, the Bible says that God, um, God knows when a single sparrow falls to the ground. And don't you think I care about you or don't you think I'm involved in your life? Don't you think I know what you're going through? If I can know every sparrow that, that, that falls, don't you think I know about you? And he says, he used, Jesus uses this example, and I, I don't know if he said it and he laughed as he said it, you know, but he looked around and he says, the very hairs of your head are numbered. You know, God knows right now how few I have left, you know, and God probably has in heaven the scale, the downward trend, um, you know, pastor lost a long time ago, but uh, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And God, what, a, what a, a silly and yet very significant example of God's omniscience. You know, and if God knows the hairs of my head, don't you think he knows what I'm worried about? Don't you think he knows the needs that are going to come up? Don't you think he knows, you know, the frustration that I have? And so, you know, if, it, if it's comical, maybe it'll help us to remember, you know, if God can know the hair on my head, don't, don't you think he cares about me? Psalms 147 verse 4 says, He telleth the numbers of the stars, he calleth them all by their names. 
You know, as in the news, NASA just launched that new telescope. You know, and I, I'm kind of a, a bit of a nerd, and so I, I, I liked watching uh, the documentary, how it got built, and all the, the different systems they put in, and the heat shield, and how it folds out. It, it's a very nerdy thing. Uh, but they built this, this, this very powerful telescope, and they expect to see all these stars that no one has seen before. My God already knows they're there. My God put them there. You know, and, and as, as technology progresses, you know, think back when that first telescope was invented, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I think it's a, a, if I'm not mistaken, a couple thousand stars on a clear night that you can see with the naked eye, you know. And so for many years, no doubt, people looked up at the stars and said, well, there's 5,000 stars, you know, and then they, they invent that first telescope and then, oh, maybe there's, there's 50,000 stars. You know, and then they start getting all these other telescopes and they start, they put the Hubble telescope up in space and, and they're just, time and time again they come back, well, we estimated there was 10 million stars. Oh, we estimated there's now 100 billion stars. They have, they have no idea. They make their guess. God says that he has them numbered. He knows every single star. You know, he put them there. Again, the Bible says, he telleth the number of the stars, he calleth them, by their names. You know, imagine trying to name them all. You know, and we have a hard enough time. They, they gave up with proper names and now they just get numbered. <laughs> you know, they, they can't even keep up with them all. Um, Psalms 139, I believe this was probably supposed to be with our hearts, but, uh, O Lord, thou searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, mine uprising. Thou understandeth my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 8, but uh, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, and what's the Bible say? Before ye ask of them. And just, just thinking about what, how does God's omniscience impact me today? You know, what, what, why is it, um, Important. What does it affect me? And, and when we think about today, it's that there is nothing that escapes him. And that, that has both a negative and a positive. You know, there's no sin that escapes him. But as I want to just be an encouragement tonight, there is no hurt that escapes our God. There's no worry that escapes him. There's no trouble that he doesn't see and uh, that he didn't know was coming even. And so God's omniscience today should, should bring us some encouragement. And then the last one as we see tonight is God's omniscience is displayed for tomorrow as well. And this really is where we talk about prophecy um, uh, and, and how important that was. When we think about our, our Savior, if we were to, to tie in uh, the first point about the, the person and the plan of salvation, uh, the Bible has approximately, and, and some people have a, a different number, so there's a little bit of variation there, but approximately 324 messianic prophecies, all right? Something that was said about the Messiah that Jesus, when he came, would have to fulfill. And so the first one, I, I wrote down just four here, that he was born in Bethlehem, excuse me, in Micah 5, verse 2, that he would be born to a virgin mother, Isaiah 7, verse 14, that he'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, verse 9. 
Uh, he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, verse 12. And if you go through over 300 of these prophecies about how Jesus would come, about what he would do when he was here, about how he'd be betrayed, about how um, salvation would take place. And prophecies, I, there's no way around it, prophecies demonstrate God's omniscience. You know, think about in the Old Testament, I didn't write down the verse, um, but in the Old Testament, how, how did they determine whether a prophet was of God or not? Pardon me? If it was true. You know, if, I don't know if I recommend doing this, but if you go on, on YouTube and you look up some of our modern day prophets, um, uh, you know, I've, I've seen pastors get up and prophesy who's going to win the Super Bowl and they lost. You know, and if we were to take the Old Testament and apply that to that man's ministry, he'd have to resign. And in the Old Testament, if a prophet made a single wrong prophecy, they, they missed the mark. They were not of God. And so for, for Jesus to, to fulfill every single messianic prophecy, um, it just goes to show God's omniscience. It goes to show that, that God knew how life would unfold, what Jesus would experience, how the people around him um, would live and what would take place. And it demonstrates God's omniscience. God's knowledge of tomorrow also sets him above all other so-called gods. In the Old Testament, they, um, the Israelites would fall into uh, idol worship. Uh, in the land of Canaan, they had all these different idols. In Egypt, they had all these different gods as well. And in Isaiah, uh, and we don't have time, but if you were to read through Isaiah 41 all the way down to uh, verse 46, it really is, is um, I, don't know, I don't know how to describe it, God saying that I am God that he is declaring who he is and that he is above everything and anything else that is out there. And one of the ways that he does that is he uses the ability to prophesy, to predict, I don't want to say predict, but prophesy the uh, the future, uh, that God's omniscience set him apart from all these other gods. You know, in, in, in Egypt... When Moses first came and he, he threw his rod down and it became a serpent, what did the false prophets, what did the false priests that worship false gods do? They did the same thing, you know, and they were able to replicate some of the first miracles, some of the first plagues, as, you, as it were, that they were, that Moses was doing. And the false gods, um, they had power. Some of them, you know, I think some of them were completely made up, but there were other ones that I believe were demonic, that Satan, that Lucifer was behind, that had the ability to do uh, terrible things, perhaps. But what sets them apart is God's knowledge. You know, if you think of the power that, that, um, that Lucifer was allowed to have, that the demons were allowed to have, um, they didn't have omniscience. Satan does not know the future. He knows what's in the Bible. And, uh, you know, when we were in Bible college, they, they, one of the debates, you know, is Satan the eternal optimist? Uh, and I'm not going to remember the last one. Um, does he know he's defeated and just trying to burn everyone down? Or does he think he can actually win? And, uh, you know, I, I lean towards more that Satan knows that he's going to lose. 
You know, having been in heaven, having seen God, having read, no doubt, of his own demise and never being able to defeat God. I think he knows that he's going to lose. But God separates himself. When God was, I don't want to say defending himself, but establishing that he was the true God, he uses omniscience as a way to do that. And I wrote these four verses down um, for us to look at. Isaiah 41 Verse 21, produce your cause, saith the Lord, bring forth your strong reason, saith uh, the king of Jacob, let them bring forth and then, and show us what, what shall happen. Okay. If you, if you have a false God that you're saying is God, bring them up here and tell me something that's going to take place. Predict the future, make a prophecy, let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them and declare us things for to come. All right, declare the future. You call yourself a God. You want people to worship you. You, you think you're high and mighty. Tell me what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after that. Verse 23, show the things that are to come hereafter. And then the Bible says this, that we may know that ye are God's. All right, God is essentially throwing down a challenge. All right, you, you, think you're, you think you're at my level or you think you're above me. All right, let's see. Tell me what's going to happen. Predict. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. And you're going to see that phrase throughout this passage. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. All right, things are coming. Before they get here, I'm going to tell you what they are. I am the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I shall call, and shall declare it, and set, in order, set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Right, have I not given you all these examples? Ye even are my witness. Is there a God beside me? Rhetorical question there. Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring, and this is kind of the, the um, I don't know, the, the king verse, if you want to call it that. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And so God's ability to know the future, all right, his omniscience to have prophecy, to have that ability, to have that characteristic makes him the God, all right? The, anything else other than that falls short, is a copycat, is a, a poor copycat for that. But God's omniscience sets him apart. So what is our application? What, what, how does God's omniscience encourage me tonight? 
And I personally, I I am encouraged by it because all three areas that we looked at, um, God's omniscience in the past, God's omniscience today, and God's omniscience in the future is all for, uh, is, is all displays of his love for me. You know, if we were to go through Revelation, we think we we talk about heaven, you know, wiping away the tears from our eyes, uh, no more night, no more um, no more pain, no more suffering, spending eternity with Him. Those are all prophecies that are for my good. And I'm not saying that God exists for me. All right, that, that's not what I'm saying at all. But all through Scripture, we see that God is operating because He loves us. And, and doing things because he loves us. And we were made to, cre- to bring glory to him. And, and salvation is, is a way that we bring glory to him. We accept him by faith. And, uh, and, we, um, and we can see that. In the past, God's omniscience uh, is evident, uh, sorry, God's omniscience is evidence of his supreme deity. All right? I am God and there is no other. God's omniscience demonstrates his love for us. Right? If you think of Peter, and um, I, was, I was talking with someone, and, and this is a big rabbit trail, we won't go down, but um, there's, there's some Christians that believe that God doesn't know uh, the result of a decision right, that hasn't been made. And so I was talking with that person, and, and we were debating this a little bit, and, and I mentioned uh, Peter. You know, it's, it's really hard for Jesus to make this prophecy if he didn't know the outcome of Peter's decision. In John 13, verse 38, Jesus answered and said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Jesus prophesied that, that Peter would, would deny him. And yet, did God, did Jesus cast Peter out? Was he, I'm done. Peter, I have no plan for you. Not at all. You know, think about it. When, when I'll pick on Paul. Paul, when Jesus looked down and saw all the sin in your life, did he say, that's, that's too much? He knew. he knew. He knew that Paul was a sinner in the past. He knew that when Paul called on him to be his savior, that Paul was still a sinner. And he knew that for the rest of Paul's life, he's going to battle that sin nature and have, have moments and times of sin. And yet Jesus still died for you. Jesus still died for me. And I don't know how you think about God's omniscience and not see it as a demonstration of his love for us. Romans 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, okay, while I sinned in the past, while I'm sinning now, while I'm going to be still sinning, Christ died for us. God's omniscience, we talked a lot about tonight, that God knows the hair on my head, God, know, God knew the plan of salvation uh, before the foundation of the world, God is able to prophesy, all of that is for my good, but there's one thing that God has forgotten, and, and I think that's the icing on the cake, is my sin. Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotteth out the transgressions from, for mine own sake, or again, for God's glory, and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews 8, verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sin and their iniquities will I remember no more. The God of the universe knows everything, knows every star that's out there. Know, just You think of a question, God knows it. God knows the future perfectly. 
And the one thing that he chooses to forget is when I did it, when I sinned, when I will sin. You know, and, and, and that is such encouragement to me. And I, I pray that that would be an encouragement to you as well. As we, as we've looked at the, excuse me, the omniscience of God, how do you see his love for you? Yeah, uh, through knowing, um, through what he knows about us and yet still chooses to, to come to us, to offer us forgiveness, to, for, to forgive us time and time again every time I fall. And I just, I can't get past the love of God. So I do pray that that would be an encouragement uh, to you this evening. Uh, we'll pray and then uh, uh, Brother Paul will come with some requests. Lord, we do love you. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for this study tonight. Um, God, that there's nothing that surprises you. Uh, God, there's nothing in, in our past, there's nothing in our future that catches you off guard and that you'd still love us enough um, to, to die for my sins, God. And it's just such a humbling thought. And I pray that would be an encouragement to us tonight. We pray in your name. Amen.